listening to 91.5 FM WPRK Winter Park, Florida, the voice of Rollins College and the best in basement radio. You are tuned into the Motorsports Hour. It happens here on WPRK every Sunday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Let me give you the website, themotorsportshour.com. You can find our podcast, all kinds of good stuff there, and WPRK.org. Listening online, take us with you wherever you are in the world via the WPRK app. My name is Clark. I am your host alongside me tonight, as always, Mr. Chris Wire to Wire Wire. How you doing over there? I'm doing well, sir. That, that's good. That's good. I, I tell you what, big weekend, lots of racing on TV, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, it, it's just, it's just uh, a nice time. It is just a nice time. A lot of good stuff going on. Weekend is full. We've got you and I are both lacrosse fans. We got plenty of lacrosse action going on as well. It's it's good stuff Memorial Day weekend. Yes, it is. It is. So, I, I tell you what, I started off by not watching racing, not you know watching. I actually then it was a quiet day at the office on Friday. Fired Put the TV up, on. Get fired up the Roku on the TV. Had a uh, practice uh, going on on the uh, TV and uh, at the office, which was nice. It's always nice. It was a, you know it was, it was a quiet Friday. We'll say we'll say it was a quiet Friday. So I had that going on, and you know watched a little practice P two and everything and. You know, I, I, Monaco is awesome. We'll get to Monaco. We'll get to Indy and everything and, and all that kind of stuff. But but then uh, I pressure washed everything this weekend at my mom's house. It's funny I didn't see you at my house. Uh, no. You said everything. No, I, I did not pressure wash your house. No, I did not. I have to work on that. Yeah. Well, why are you having, you have a nice weekend? You finally have... You finally have you, you don't have house hotel anymore. You, you, all your whole family's been gone for for a couple weeks. And then uh, I they guess. left again. And then, and then they left again. Okay, so now you're back to having house hotel. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the girls like traveling. That's what they're going to do. And good for them. You know, as long as they, you know, know where they're going and it's someplace safe. In this case, it's a family thing. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I, 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 I stay home, take care of the dog, eat what I want. You know. It's a, it's a good thing, you know. That's not it's not a bad idea. Beer fridge so. is fully stocked. Yeah. So have you had to restock it? Uh no, that's tomorrow. Okay, okay. Tomorrow morning. Big trip, big list. Yeah. You know, for just me. Okay. But um, yeah. You know why I you, you say that I could have sworn I saw your car and your boat uh, in Monaco this weekend. Was that I, not yours? Was that not your F forty on the boat in Monaco this weekend? I can't claim the boat. And that was your that was your F forty though. So, uh, I can right. neither confirm nor deny that. Is there a more obscene display of wealth than than going to the Monaco Grand Prix and your giant yacht? And I don't know how how big it is. You know, a hundred meters, one hundred and fifty meters. It's some giant, you know, yacht. And instead of having the helicopter on the helipad there on the boat, you remove the helicopter and you have them. On the crane, put your F forty where the helicopter pad is. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's spectacular. It does um, look awesome. It, it, it does look you know, awesome. You could argue that it's ostentatious, but honestly, could, it's Monaco Grand Prix weekend. What is not ostentatious yeah, about it? Yeah, I don't think you would get much of our of an argument that there is any way, shape, or form that it is not ostentatious. But yes, what about Monaco is not? I don't really know. Um, We'll get to Monaco, but before we get to Monaco, let's talk about the big news in Formula One, and that is that Aston Martin is no more. It's going to be Honda. Uh, no. No. Aston Martin is still Aston Martin. 
Wait, but, but those are two different manufacturers. Why or how does that work? Aston thing, Martin. Yeah. Powered by Honda. Okay, yes. Now, Honda is staying in the sport. Remember, Honda was with Red Bull. Fernando Alonso hated Honda. You know, called it a GP2 engine at one point. Um, Clearly, yeah. they got their stuff together. Yes, they did get their stuff together. Uh, now, it's not... It, it's. It is not a, it, I guess it's kind of a Honda engine now that's in the Red Bull. It's a RBPTH or Red Bull powertrain Honda power, you know, Honda or something. It's, a, it's Honda power. It, it's it's Honda power, but Honda is going away from Red Bull next year. Or no. In or, favor or, of 2026. Or, 2026, yes. 2026. Now, I think next year they're going away. And it's just going to be Red Bull powertrains. And coming in 2026, it's going to be Ford. Ford. And Honda is moving to Aston Martin. Yeah, when they were once leaving. Yeah. They were, they were gone. And uh, they were actually supposed to be gone this year. And then they negotiated an extension with Red Bull. It's kind of like, uh, we won the world championship. Maybe we shouldn't leave? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you market you, I don't know how you if you walk away, how do you market it? Uh, you don't, and 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 they market the heck out of it now because every ad, every Honda ad I see on TV, it's that ad. You know, Honda was a bicycle company. They said you couldn't, right, you know, build motorcycles, and you know, then we won the TT. Yep. Um, which, by the way, Isle Man is coming up here in a couple weeks, which is insane and awesome and incredible. Won't really talk about it, but. See if you can find it and watch what you can on the Isle of Man. Maybe we'll get to it at the end of the show because it is spectacular. Yeah. And uh, terrifying. It, 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 yes, it's all of those things. It's 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 incredible. I've, I've been a fan of the TTs for of the TT for a long time. But anyway, you know, they, they have that at, oh, you, they say you couldn't, you know, build a race car and, and, you know, or build a car. And now, look, we just won the Formula One World Championship with a hybrid. Yep. There it is, right there, front and center in Honda's, you know, national ad campaign. And I would imagine international ad campaign. And they've got some, you know, weird. They've got that Honda Jet and all that kind of stuff out there. And and you know, look, I think they've even been off road racing. Yeah, the, yes, they have. And they have all that. You can't do that if you're not there. So they want to stay there now, I guess. And. They're there, and they're there with Aston Martin, and, you know, no hard feelings between Fernando and the Honda folks, I guess. Well, and I think it stems from the fact that Red Bull wanted, and apparently are, are going to get in their partnership with Ford, they wanted a little more creative control, as well as just overall control of the powertrain, you know, platform. And... Honda wasn't willing to give it to them, which is understandable as a, you know, a worldwide manufacturer. Uh, and whatever Honda thought they were getting out of it besides, you know, marketing opportunities, uh, you know, they decided to find somebody else that would allow the current or similar situation to continue. And Aston Martin's it for Red Bull's, you know, part. They... They wanted they wanted a partner that was more willing to engage on a creative level and and actually be a, you know a side by side partner so that both companies can get in. Red Bull is obviously moving 
you know, outside of Formula One with their powertrain, you know, similar to Williams, you know, the engineering side, so forth. I think you'll see, you know, Red Bull's footprint in other, you know, avenues related to powertrain, not just Formula One. Yeah. Alongside Ford. Well, that's kind of the the big news coming into Monaco. Good place to announce all that kind of stuff, I guess, for Honda. You know, the eyes of uh, the sporting world, in large part, are in Monaco this weekend uh, for what is the biggest Formula One uh, race of the season, uh, and for good reason. Um, Monaco is spectacular. You know, from the moment I watch, I I used to watch FP1, FP2. I would I would go online find FP3 a lot of the times every single you know spare second of qualifying and everything. I don't necessarily do that anymore. Don't necessarily have the time to go watch FP1, FP2, all that kind of stuff. I watched every single second from Monaco. It is so spectacular. Alan Prost said it's like riding a bicycle around your living room, and. It really is evident of that. This is a track, uh, the average car, I think, is about 6.6.5 feet wide or something like that. The track itself is about 30 feet wide on average. Most of the time you're talking about 50 foot wide tracks and stuff like that. Not here, 30 feet wide. It's just so narrow. You have all the furniture, you know, from the, from it being a street circuit, all of that stuff that is out there, all the curbs, all the, everything that's there that they have to, you know, you have to work around and it is so tight. And we, we've talked about this and how it doesn't always race well. And guess what? You know, that's still the case, but Monaco itself is the star of this race as it always is every single year. It is just a absolutely spectacular looking place. Yeah. And it's a, it's an event. I mean, it's not a race. Yeah, the race, you know, as you said, and we've said many times before, usually not so exciting. Yeah, you know, hit or miss as to whether it's going to be dramatic. Um, you know, there's a low ratio of passing. Um, there's a low ratio of even attempted passes because the cars are just not designed to run in their current spec the way they are now. They're super wide. Yep. You know, they're super grippy, lots of downforce, lots of power. About two feet wider. So, for you know, back first first round of the Formula One World Championship, 1950. And now, this race started in the 20s, actually. But first round of the Formula One World Championship was 1950. The average car width was two feet narrower. It's like four and a half feet wide. Now we're six and a half feet wide. Yeah, but the roads didn't get any bigger. Exactly. The road's still the same size. I mean, they, they've done a very good job of accommodating. Um, you know, they've moved some barriers back a little bit. You know, they have they didn't have, you know, the, the last chicane coming up to um, the last, you know, what's the last corner of the restaurant? Rescass. Right Rescass. The, uh, the last chicane before that, they've contoured the, you know, the barrier so that it's not as, you know, as an acute an angle and so forth. And if you just... Tried to make it so you can actually carry some speed through there. And, um, you know, it, it works pretty well. And, you know, so they're doing what they can. They haven't really changed the character of the of the no. racetrack. But I think just, you know, little 
changes here and there have made it better to race on. And here, here is something that I that I was thinking over over the course of the weekend of a, of a way to look at Monaco. Um, we think of racing as as being Max versus Lewis, uh, not maybe not this year, but okay, Max versus a whole bunch of nobody this year, quite frankly. Um, but you know, it, it's driver versus driver. It's it's you know Alonso versus uh, versus Lewis Hamilton, and and it's and it's Lewis Hamilton, you know. A, Versus Max Verstappen, versus Carlos Sainz, versus Charles Leclerc. And that's the battles that we're looking for. Driver versus driver. This race is not a driver versus driver race. It's just not. This is a battle between a driver and a track. This is a race against the streets of Monaco. That's who you are racing here. You are not racing you know, Alonso or Leclerc, Verstappen, you're racing Monaco itself. And I started thinking of that this week and thinking of it in that way, at least, and going, okay, how are they, you know, not not how, what are they doing in each corner, you know, how is one driver better than another? How is one driver better than the track? How is one driver besting the circuit here? Uh, throughout the course of practice, throughout the course of qualifying, and then it was very evident today that it absolutely was a battle against the track. And I think that's the way we have to start thinking of this, of this race. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the goal is to still, you know, conquer the track and best as many of your mates as you can, um, because there's clearly points awarded for that. But it goes back to the old axiom in racing that to finish first, you must first finish. Yes. And it's so easy to not finish this race. It is. Um, now, today, we only had two cars not finish the race, uh, which is crazy uh, because you would think, if as history would repeat itself and we'd have – Six eight cars out, but no, not the case today. Not the case today. Uh, really uh, impressive stuff. But before we get there, let's get to um, let's talk about practice, shall we? Sure. So we go to practice not on Thursday. Now this has been one of the changes in Formula One um, uh, in recent years. Used to be that you know Monaco was kind of its own little island. You'd have a little bit of a break before, a little bit of a break after. And Thursday, you would practice. Friday was always a quiet day in the Principality. Uh, so there was no action on track on Friday. Practice was on Thursday, qualifying on Saturday. Nothing on Friday. I guess just a bunch of parties and that sort of thing. Basically, they said, hey, you know what? This doesn't work for us. We've got race before, race the next week. Like, we got to get on with things. So we're, we're practicing on Friday. And I tell you, I, I turned on the TV, I, you know, I, in my office on, like, oh, shoot, I missed practice. Practice was yesterday. It was on Thursday. You know, I'm out in the field all day on Thursday. I didn't get to watch it. Oh no, that's right. They changed it. We're back to Friday. We're you know we're we're like a normal race. They had it. Good crowds, all that kind of stuff. Lots of beautiful people. Lots of beautiful things. Everything is just beautiful in Monaco. Beautiful boats. Beautiful cars. Beautiful people. Beautiful everything. Everything is beautiful in Monaco. Buildings, the sky, the, the water. <laughs> Everything is beautiful there. 
It just is. It it looks like it. You get the sense that it's built out of gold bricks, basically. I, I mean, it kind of is. I, it's just a spectacular looking place. The star is always Monaco, and it was this year, bathed in sunlight, the Mediterranean shimmering, you know, off in the off in the distance. You know, the hills and mountains right behind it, and it just looks so spectacular. I know. I wanted to check an Airbnb off season. I didn't bother, but yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. I you know I, I've I've been to Monaco not during the race this was 15 years ago uh, and, and it, it's an incredible looking place you know it's an incredible place it's not a place that you know would be you know our type of place here wire but nonetheless it is a spectacular looking uh, and living city and everything in my you know mere hours that I've spent there but it just looks so cool and it, it, you know you want. You want to be, you know, in in your in your Ferrari Daytona driving down the coast to go get into your Riva Aquarama or something like that, and just be doing that, you know, smoking a cigarette, hanging it out the hanging it out the window, you know, having, you know, you're probably you got a glass of wine while you're driving because you know you could do that thing in the you know late '60s kind of deal, and, uh, and that's what it just feels like. It just feels like that. It looks like that. It looks like such an amazing place, and. In, it is. It, it just it just it looks amazing. I love that we race Formula One there. I could not imagine not racing at Monaco. I just can't imagine it. And anybody, any street race always wants to compare themselves to Monaco. Stop. Yeah. There is no comparison. There is nothing about your race that compares to Monaco. Nothing. And just a little bit of water somewhere near the facility is not enough. Although, you know, that hasn't stopped people from, from you know, in the past from trying to use that. St. Petersburg, you know, Long Beach, you know, when they were talking about, you know, racing and the Palisades and yeah. Weehawken, New Weehawken. Jersey. Just like Monaco. Just like Monaco, yeah. Long I'm sure Beach. The, the view of the Hudson Bay, you know, with New York City on the other side is just the same as the Mediterranean with yeah. all these massive yachts and, you know. Have you ever been in the Hudson River before? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so have I. Yeah. I, I. I've also swam in the Mediterranean, too. Two very different things. I'll put it this way. I sw loved swimming in the Mediterranean. Gorgeous, sure. you know. Yeah. South France doing that. This was, this was spectacular. I've been to the I've been on the Hudson a lot more than I've been in the to the Mediterranean. Not once would I pull a Kramer and go swimming in the Hudson. So, not not going to do that. I think we're like minded in that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so practice was spectacular. Monaco was the star of the show. Um, we had some some really exciting times. Fernando Alonso was fastest. Now, I you know my wife the whole week's Alonso's got it. Alonso's going to do it this week. Alonzo's and I'm like, I hope he does. I hope he does. I, I think he can do it. No, nobody, I don't know if there's a driver better around Monaco than Alonzo. He is so good at Monaco. So good. I, you know, I, I, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Alonzo have some success. So let's go, let's go to qualifying, shall we? Q1. Here's what we had. We have a track out there that's by nature green that, you know, everybody starts laying down laps, laying down laps, laying down laps. Track is getting faster, faster, faster. 
Sergio Perez goes out there. I think he's second on the timesheet at the time, then shunts the car. But he's second on the timesheet. Okay, he might make it out here, right? You know, take that car back, see what they can do, get it fixed. You know, they, they get they get it on the crane. They're trying to get it fixed and everything. Turns out Sergio Perez qualifies dead last. I mean, that's how much this track sped up, how much it got faster as this session went on in Q1. Uh, you know, you have this session in Q1 where, you know, he goes out there early time but sets a, a very good time, whatever it was. It was top five if it wasn't second or whatever it was. But a great time, and it's one of those things where he's two seconds up on some people, and then all of a sudden new times start coming in after the red flag. They get everything cleaned up, get his car cleaned up and everything, get it you know, back to the pits. Times are coming in, and then all of a sudden everybody's eclipsing him. Everybody's faster to the point where he qualified in 20th position, the slowest time of the day. The Alfa Romeo, which qualified in 19th in Zhou Guan Yu, was three tenths up on him. Yeah, and you know you got to remember these are public roads. You know they're not used for much, if any, racing. You know during the course of the off season, and so there's no rubber buildup. You know weather washes all that away. Uh, it takes a, a good bit of time. You had you know three free practice sessions. Now all of a sudden qualifying, and everybody's out there in anger. Yeah, and yeah, I mean the. Practice is one thing, but quality's another. And the interesting thing about this qualifying session, not just Q1, but we had probably more than any other circuit, you had guys, you know, showing up at the top of the timesheets that we would never have expected. Yeah. You know, Yusinoda's at the top of the timesheets. You yeah. know, Esteban Ocon's at the top of the timesheet. All these guys just showing what they've got, and it's because the the margins are so minuscule – the lap times are what one thirteen, one fourteen, one fifteen, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I actually, actually a little bit quicker, one twelve to one eleven, kind of thing. And it's a you know it's a fairly short track. Yeah, so very short. It's, it's like just a little over two miles. Yeah, so I mean, it it's just it doesn't really take somebody to get too far out over their skis to put in a really good time and raise a little bit of eyebrows and. I th I thought that was an interesting aspect. Yeah, Alexander Albon in the Williams was top of the timesheets for a while. I, I mean, here is here is Sergio Perez who sets a competitive time and literally ends up qualifying dead last. I mean, you know, everybody's faster than him. It was it it, it you are absolutely right. Wire the this is one of the few circuits where the driver can really make a difference. Now the car is still the biggest difference. And Formula One, because the drivers are quite frankly so good, but the driver can really, really make a difference, and 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 that was evident in Q3. But before we get to Q3, let's go to let's go to Q2. Um, here's who got knocked out. Not a whole lot of surprise in Q1. Who gets knocked out? Uh, well, the big surprise, of course, was Checo Sergio Perez getting knocked out. But uh, the Haases, uh, the Alpha of Joe Guanyu. The other alpha of Al, uh, and uh, the uh, Williams of Logan Sargent, the other alpha of Valtteri Botas made it in, but he got uh, he qualified in fifteenth in Q two. You know, Q two comes out. It's looking at at a lot of these points like you know Mercedes 
isn't going to make it out of here. That you know the Mercedes is 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 faltering, and the big disappointment in Q two was that of Lance Stroll. Ended up qualifying in fourteenth. Yeah, and he was only two one thousandths of a second from fifteenth. Yeah, you know, disappointing from him. You know, I, I think it's probably a you know in contrasting with his teammate. This is a venue that will absolutely show the difference in skill set, the difference in experience, yep. the difference in willingness to, you know, to put the car on the edge and know where that limit is and be willing to, you know, live with the consequences. He doesn't have, you know, he's not in a championship battle like Fernando is. He's got, you know, he's just got to take care of dad, you know. Well, and I think that's that's telling what you how you just phrased that um, his willingness to to kind of do what it takes and and you have to have a certain reckless abandon to race in Formula One. But if you're going to be a top champion like Max, I mean, we all used to joke that Max played you know raced like it was a video game or something, you know, his regard for his life and the life of others was kind of nil when he started. Uh, you know, the chances that you see drivers take, uh, that you see Lewis take, that you see Fernando take, that you see Max take. Self-preservation is not factored in to their decision-making. It's just not. And as crazy as that is, but that's, quite frankly, what it takes to be successful at something like that. There is no thought in Fernando Alonso's mind or Max Verstappen's mind or Lewis Hamilton's mind that if I make a mistake here, I could hit that wall and I could get hurt. You just can't think like that. You just can't think like that. Yeah, but one would think that that mindset would favor the young. It would favor somebody like Lance Stroll and it would actually, self-preservation would you know, invade Fernando. Hungry dog runs faster. True. All right. Yeah. I'd, look, I'd, Max, Fernando, Lewis, they'll all be just fine if racing ended for them, you know, tomorrow. That was not always the case. Sure. Um, Lance, eh, maybe not so much. He's never going to starve. Q3. One of the best Q3s I've seen in maybe a couple years. So Quite good. possibly. So good. So good. Because I everybody's challenging. You've got these names up there. Esteban Ocon is, is, is looking good, you know. Um you've got um um you, you've got Esteban Ocon looking good. You've got Carlos Sainz looking okay. You've got Charles Leclerc looking halfway decent, but you've got Fernando looking fantastic. And Fernando goes out there and sets a blazing fast time. A blazing fast time on a lap that was pure magic out of Alonso and the Aston Martin. And he comes across the line, and the Aston Martin is on the pole for the Monaco Grand Prix, and then they pan to Max Verstappen. 
And they show him through the first two sectors, and he is two-tenths of a second down on Fernando Alonso. And then what Max said, it's, honestly, it's giving me chills just thinking about this. He took the most insane, crazy, fast, whatever you want to call it, line through the swimming pool, swimming pool complex that I have ever seen. I didn't know it was possible for a car to go nearly, to go 90% as fast through that section as Max did. What he did in that last sector, watching him take that car through piscine, through the swimming pool complex, was a thing of magic. Just that, I mean, it's it's rare that you can see a car on TV and go, whoa, that's way fast. That's so fast. It was evident how fast Max was through that complex. Max comes across the line and just barely pips Alonzo and Max is on the pole. Yeah, but he picked up two and a half tenths. Yeah, two and a half tenths. one sector, which is... Pretty unreal. Uh, this was not a, a thing with the car. This was Max just taking this this reckless abandon. I don't care what happens here to the car, to me, whatever. His watching that, I, I went back and watched it ten times. Just that his the car going through swimming pool was incredible. Was absolutely incredible. I've never seen that in a car. It's one of those things where. You you want to talk about being inch perfect in a Formula One car? This was quarter of an inch perfect. You could not have driven it any faster, any closer, any more perfect. Yeah, and I think the you know you if you follow I think it's Formula One Formula dot addict or Formula One dot addict on Instagram where they do the animated overlays. Astounding. Yeah, just to see what he pulled, and it, to me. I like those. I really appreciate, you know, whoever runs that account is just, yeah, we stuff. appreciate it very much. But I appreciate it just as much where Fernando was faster than Max because Max has, in the back of his mind, he always knows he has the best car. Now, yes, he has to do the best job with that car, but everybody else on the grid knows that the equipment that they're running is not quite up to par with what Max is running. So to see these guys, you know, wrangle that car around this track and get the kind of times out of it. Esteban Ocon. I mean, we had, yeah, we, yeah Esteban Ocon qualified fourth. Everybody say, great, 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 the Alpine. He was, in the last closing seconds, he was on the pole. Yeah, he was. He's on the pole. Then Charles Leclerc comes by and just, you know, pips him by a tenth. Crowd goes nuts. Yay, Charles, local boy. You know, then all of a sudden Fernando comes over and he pips him by half a tenth, not even, three three point three of a tenth. And the crowd goes crazy. And then Max comes and does a Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. <laughs> really impressive stuff out of Max. Uh here was the, the, the qualifying order. You had Max, then Fernando, then uh Charles Leclerc. However, Charles Leclerc would start in six. Uh, for impeding Lando Norris in Q3. Which he did. Which he did. And why we saw this up and down the field, like I kind of like I've never seen before. Um, the amount of times somebody would be coming through full tilt boogie, through swimming pool or, or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden there would be a car there on the racing line. I mean, it happened all the time. Yeah. All the time. But see, that's, you know, I was thinking about that over the weekend because 
in practice, there's no obligation for them to get out of the way. Right. There just there just isn't. Now, if it was dangerous, you might you know get called to the stewards, but qualifying they have to. You know, they have to leave space. It, there, there's just no. You can't make a car that big just evaporate. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there are places you got to have you know strict communication with the team. You need to be pay attention. Who's on a hot lap? Who isn't? Um, I just I don't know how they do it. You almost have to drive it. You have to drive a line like the car that you're coming up on isn't there. Yeah. And that's a frightening thought because they are there, and you just hope that they get out of the way by the time you arrive. And, it's a, and so much of that uh, of the track is blind yeah. too. So much of it are, are is blind corners. So yeah. Um, Carlos Sainz qualified in fourth for Ferrari. Lewis Hamilton back there. Uh, it qualified in uh, sixth, but moved up to fifth. Uh, Pierre Gasly uh, seventh. George Russell uh, qualified in eighth. Yuki Tsunoda uh, qualified in ninth, and Lando Norris qualified uh, in tenth. Well, wire that was uh, qualifying. It was fantastic. It was exciting. Let's go to the race, shall we? No, qualifying was the best part of the weekend. We, we joke. All, we, we know we, this we, every we, year. I say, you know, we joke about this and, and everything, and guess what? You're right. It, 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 we joke, and, and look, the race today was more exciting than some Monaco Grand Prix. But it was not as exciting as qualifying. That's true. You know, we, we get to race day and the glitz and the glamour and everything and all the stars are out. I might retract my statement about Miami being the place to be seen and see and be seen and all that kind of stuff with the, the beautiful people and the celebrities and all that. It is kind in of the stuff. States. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big, you know, lots of the celebs and all that kind of stuff there. And uh, it just a just a cool atmosphere for the pit walk and everything. And. You know, it, it starts, the broadcast started, I think, at 7.30 on, on ABC. Flip on the TV at 7, 7.30. It comes on. Watch it all day on ABC. Uh, it's nice to have that. Nice to be able to do that. And we finally get to racing, and we're racing, and, you know, okay, is Alonzo going to be able to do anything here with Max going into the first quarter? You know, we, what can he do? Because he's, he's got to get him at the first corner, right? He's got to get him early going. You know, hey, and he's got Ocon there, too. And, and you know, you think, oh, well, the Aston Martin is better than the Alpine. Yes, it is, but it's also Monaco. It's an impossible – it's impossible to pass. So you don't want to make a mistake here and let the Alpine through. But you got to think. Fernando's going, okay, what can I do to make a move on Max here? No, he's not. You don't think so? No. Well – here, here's why I want to know. Okay. The team started him on hard tires. Yeah. They had pretty much from the get-go kind of said, uh, you know, because you're going to get a little bit more grip with a softer tire off the line. And maybe they had some weird strategy up their sleeve or something. I don't know. But they had kind of just said, you know what? Second's good for us, I guess. It's kind of what their strategy so, said. Yeah. I mean, it was consolidation of second place. Um, they weren't fighting Max. They were fighting Ocon for track position. And the absolute worst thing in the world was not that they don't pass Max. Worst thing in the world is they get passed by Ocon. Yeah. Well, he did not get passed by Ocon, and he did not pass Max. 
There's a little bit of bumping and banging in the back of the field, but no real comings together um, except for Sergio Perez uh, running into the back of uh, – who did he run in the back of? I don't know. Did he not run in the back of somebody? I don't remember. I thought he did. Who knows? Whatever no, I think it is. he was. I don't, I don't think he did. I mean, who came in for a wing change? Hulkenberg, I think, came in for a wing change. Yeah. Um. I, I can't think of who else was in there. Logan Sargent, he had a bad day. He did have a bad day. We say that you can't pass at Monaco. Logan Sargent is evident that that we're liars. Quite frankly, you, you can't pass, but you can be passed. Logan Sargent made liars out of us. An American, American, made us look like a bunch of liars because Logan Sargent got passed by three cars in one lap at Monaco. Yeah. Whew. Bad day. Yeah. I yeah. like when when Williams pulled him in with like, I think this is probably his second or third pit stop. They pulled him in with like, I don't know, 38 laps to go. Yeah, we're going to put you on the soft tire. Nobody had run the soft tire all day because yeah. they all knew it was a terrible race tire. And so Williams said, "Here, Ferrari, hold my beer." <laughs> and they they put Logan Sargent on softs. Yeah, Ferrari took a couple swigs out of that uh, before they they handed it over to Williams. Though, um, look, Logan Sargent had he was also given a five second time penalty. Guess what? It did not affect his finishing position because he finished uh, in eighteenth in front of two cars that did not finish. So, you know. It's uh, It's been a struggle for Logan so far this season. I, I hope he can get it going. I hope he can get it figured out. I hope he can get you know get something going. But look, his, his teammate, Alexander Albon, much more experienced driver, all that kind of stuff. We know that. But he his teammate finished in 14th today. This was not ever going to be an event to showcase Logan Sargent. Just, no. Just not. I mean, yeah. It's you know for yeah. all we for all we talk about you know and commentate and opine about these things. If it's your first Formula One race in you know this spec car at Monaco, I just can't imagine how overwhelming it all must be come race day, because you know yeah you're working up to your pace you know during free practice. And you made it through qualifying without, you know, much fanfare. But come race day, it all comes together. You know, you get these throngs of people just overlooking, you know, this bowl of a track. And everything's under a microscope. And yet you're supposed to go out and, and race against, you know, all these guys that are, would, you know, just as soon drive over you as drive around you. And not only are you supposed to hold your own, but, you know, you want to put on a good show for the team. And I just, you know, I, I couldn't imagine what he went through today. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a tough spot to, to go through all that. And, you know, it, it was not his day. Uh, you know, it was not Haas's day either. Again, this is one of those things where, hey, maybe they can have some luck here. Kevin Magnuson, DNF. Nico Hulkenberg finished right in front of Logan Sargent. Uh, we're kind of burying the lead here. We did the the race did get exciting with about twenty five laps to go. So you've got this lead that's been built up to I don't know whatever it is ten seconds or something like that twelve seconds. A typical lead by Max for stopping, you know, 
it's like he's got more in the tank. Alonzo has nothing for him. Alonzo well clear of Esteban Ocon. And then it starts to rain. When it starts to rain, everybody kind of loses their collective minds. And everybody starts literally bumping into things on the track. This was kind of bizarre. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to come in and switch to enters. I don't want to switch to wets. And, and basically every slow speed corner, which is, you know, a lot of slow speed corners, but there's also a lot of very high speed corners at Monaco. You know, at, at, at the Lowe's hairpin, everybody was basically bouncing off the walls on, on either side. You know, going into... Um, um, uh, going into um, uh, Mirabeau, which is the right-hander before you get uh, to the hairpin, people are bouncing off the bouncing off the corners there. You know, Portier before the tunnel, bouncing off of the corners there. I, I mean, everybody's just kind of like hitting these corners, going in the Rascasse, hitting the wall, hitting the Armco barrier. You know, just kind of bouncing off of it at five, six miles an hour because they just can't get the car turned quick enough, and and all that kind of stuff is really kind of interesting and silly to watch i mean it was it was maddening because you're watching these guys you know in the fastest race cars you know in all the world going so slowly and you know the the hairpin is doable in dry conditions you know with all of the you know bespoke parts that they put in the steering and the and the suspension to get, you know, a car that big around that uh, short radius turn, you introduce any little slip at all from, you know, the rain or whatever, and these guys, they just can't do it. Like the cars are not designed no. to turn in a, in a tight circle. Once you lose grip, it's just, you know, everything is gone. So and at the- best they can make the corner, but you introduce any, any variable – and they're done. And this is not Lance Stroll and Logan Sargent going off. This is Max Verstappen, the leader of the race. Yeah, he bounced off several walls. Bouncing off the wall several times. I mean, it was a little bit bumper cars, and we're kind of going, what in the world is going on here? Who's going on enters? Who's going on enters? Not Fernando Alonso. They pull Alonso into pit, and Alonso goes back out on medium tires. He somehow makes it around the course of a lap and immediately comes back on and comes back in and puts on enters now. So you have Alonzo, because he has such a big lead on Esteban Ocon, comes in, puts on medium tires. Next lap, here comes um, here comes Max. He comes in, puts on enters. And then next and then that lap, Alonzo comes back in, pits two laps in a row. And puts on enters. Comes back out in second place. Now instead of being 10 seconds behind, uh, he's 20 seconds behind Max. See, that's that's the the part that draws you in. So I'm sitting in the living room. I couldn't imagine what these strategy guys are going through. But you all, you you know, even sitting in my living room, I want to be the guy that makes a call that you know, goes against the grain and everything works out and I come out a hero. Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, Ferrari, don't go to enters. The rain looks very light. I just don't see it happening. The track's going to dry out. You know, it's 70 degrees there. Sun's going to come back out. I was wrong. Yeah. You know, enters were the way to go. 
The rain came down much heavier than I expected immediately after I made that call. So count me as, you know, part of Ferrari clown world, but, you know, they didn't listen to me, so I guess they did okay. Hey, I'll, I'll be on the uh, Haas clown world, okay? How about that? Um, so Haas basically leaves out uh, was it Hulkenberg or, or, or Magnuson? No, it was Magnuson. They leave out Magnuson on a set of hards in the rain, and I'm thinking, now come in and put on full wets. And what do they do? He comes in, they put on full wets, and I'm going, there comes Magnuson up through the field. He's going to take on everybody. This is this is me on the exact opposite strategy, but same idea. I'm going to be the guy who makes the crazy strategy call. Um you know, okay, yeah, leave him out there one more lap, bring him in, put him on full wets. He's just going to dominate the entire field. Yeah, it didn't work. So, why are there's a reason why you and I are not Formula One strategists? Yeah, well, you know, I live in the States too, so that wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we have the rain show up and it makes it more interesting. However, we're waiting for that moment, that thing to happen, and it never came. Yeah, I mean, it, you can classify. I mean, once everybody made the decision and got to the point where they were where they wanted to be, you know, on the on the tires they wanted to be on, you know, once we worked our way through that, the race pretty much settled down. Yeah, and so there wasn't much to be had beyond that. But you know, it's it it takes a little bit of rain sometimes to introduce some drama where there otherwise isn't. Um, I think, like you said. Fernando was eight or ten seconds behind Max in the dry. That was Max managing. Yeah, you know, there wasn't any way. I mean, Max started on the medium tire. Fernando is on the the uh, hard tire. Theoretically, Ma- uh, Fernando can go long, and then try to work a strategy in the dry where you know they he get, he goes way deep and then gets a caution. It works out for him and he wins. Max was you know, 40 laps into the race or whatever, on the medium tire, he's still faster than Fernando is Mm -hmm. on the hard tire. The more durable, longer-lasting hard tire, 40 laps in, Max is still... And that's the C4. That's the second softest tire that Pirelli makes. I mean, it's just... It's crazy what, you know, that car and what Max can do with that car. Yeah, it is. It's awfully impressive. Uh, So Max Verstappen goes through and wins, uh, lights the flag, the 2023 running of the Monaco Grand Prix, uh, followed up by Fernando Alonso and the Aston Martin, finishing in third, uh, his second time on the podium, Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. Lewis Hamilton finishes in fourth for Mercedes. His teammate, George Russell, right behind him in fifth. Charles Leclerc, the Monegasque driver, finishes in sixth for Ferrari. Pierre Gasly in seventh for Alpine. Carlos Sainz in eighth for Ferrari. Ninth position goes to Lando Norris uh, and McLaren. And his teammate, Oscar Piastri, uh, finishes out the top ten. I enjoyed Monica. Yeah. Is anybody as tired of George's whining besides me? I'm tired of it. Yes. Okay. I'm tired just, of George. Yeah, I was just taking a poll. Yeah. I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't know why. He just the guy <sighs> spends half the race begging to be let by. Yeah. Uh, ask Lewis to let me by because I have a time penalty, and if I have the time penalty, I can go in front, and he can still get in front of me with the time penalty. Let Lewis have Lewis let me by, please. 
No, just pass them, George. Well, I can't pass them. Just have them let me buy. I'm not good enough to get past them. Yeah, it's Monaco. Nobody's good enough to get past them. All right? I think you're George Russell's Dingleberry. Yeah. Huckle, Huckleberry? Huckleberry? Dingleberry? Dingleberry, Huckleberry? Is there a little Freudian Where's Huckleberry? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. You did that so well. Well, he he, just, he sounds so whiny. He's a He's annoying. I do, agree. I do not like George Russell because he's so annoying. I agree. Anyway. I think I got it nailed. Sounds just like him. Yeah. Can't can yeah, hardly tell the difference. So, look, Monaco was fun because it's Monaco. It's against, you're racing against a racetrack there. You're not racing against anybody else. Uh, that was evident today during the race. And you know what? I still love Monaco because of everything that it is. Couldn't imagine Formula One without it. Would it be better if the track was wider and all those things and all that kind of stuff? You know what? I don't know. I thought it was, you know, it's great. We, we don't, if we raced like this every single race, the world championship would suck. But we don't. We do this once a year. And it's at Monaco and all the history and everything there and all that kind of stuff and everything that goes along with it. I'm fine with that. Having one race. As long as it's Monaco, that race is like this. So question, Miami or Monaco at, qu at twice the price? For what? For, for a race weekend. For me to go to? For you to go to. Monaco at 18 times the price. I mean, not even a question. I'm kind of with you there. I, I mean, if somebody said, if somebody said you can go, these numbers are off. Um. Because, you know, I can't I can't afford a $25,000 ticket or whatever. By the way, I will talk about I got a you know thing on Vegas. If you want to go to the Heineken Lounge or whatever, it's like $8,000 a person in Vegas. I don't want to do that. Um, well, you want to. No, I don't want to do that. So, Monaco, if, if somebody said, okay, you could go to Miami for $300 or Monaco for 20 times that for $6,000, I'm dropping six grand to go to Monaco over $300 to go to Miami. I'm taking my $300 to go to Miami and I'm putting it in the piggy bank, in the Monaco piggy bank. And I'm saving up my dimes and nickels and I'm going to do that. Well, but here's the problem. I'm going to break the piggy bank and I'm going to go to spa before I go to either of those places. So Perhaps if there is a, you know, generous benefactor yeah. that would like to, you know, allow the Motorsports Hour to travel <laughs> to Monaco. Yeah. You know, you can say you can save your piggy bank. You wouldn't have to break it. Okay. And you know, we can still you know do the do a live show from over there or something. I, let's do it, man. I love it. I you know I, I bet they probably got Wi-Fi on your yacht. You know that you had your F forty on. That, that wasn't my boat. That uh, wasn't your boat. No. no, buddy's boat. Might have been my car, but yeah. Anyway, we'll take your boat next year. Yeah. So we're we're watching the race, and Grace says to me, "Daddy, why are all the boats there?" I said, "Well, they like to watch the uh, race from their boats." Grace, can we take our boat there? Yes, Grace. Grace, I like where your head's at. The 1997 Correct Craft Ski Nautique, albeit a wonderful boat. You know, it's it's 19 and a half feet of you know of a, of a of a water ski machine. It is a great boat. I love that boat. Not really going to work over in the Mediterranean. Not going to be the best boat over there in uh, at Monaco. I think it'd make it across the, the big pond. No. Nope. Sure don't. Okay. It's a great boat. It's a great boat. 
not set up for that. Just not really designed for that. Towing skiers at 36 miles an hour through the course, it can do that all day. Perfect. Awesome at doing that. Yes. Crossing oceans, no, no. They're not doing that in that boat. What Clint Eastwood would say, man and boat have to know their limitations. Yes. Well, <laughs> I know the limitations. It stays on lakes. Um, anyway, uh, wire, that was uh, that. By the way, just a quick question. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get get the RV spot on the on the track at Daytona. I, they think they run around 1000 bucks or something like that. Do you think the berths are more expensive at Monaco? I would tend to think so. Although you did see some really tiny boats in the marina there. Yeah, those are their tenders. Those are the, those are the boats that they used to get in, not the yeah. But I mean, there are some that have slips. Yeah, that are in there that I, I, they may still pay ten grand for a slip. But yeah, tiny boat. Yeah. Well, everything's tiny. By the way, I liked how they did the big boats in the middle, and then they kind of yes. fan out. How cool looking was that? That was tremendous. It was so cool looking. They well, have the, the you know the long boats in the middle, and then the shorter ones on the ends, and yeah. it looks it looked really cool. And I honestly, I think it was done for traffic because. Yeah. You know, it creates like an, you know, an X shape in the marina and, you know, it allows the boats to, the, the smaller commuter boats to transition in and out. There's a lot of beauty and practicality and that was uh, one of those instances. And I really would cool. like to think that over the last 50 years they've learned some lessons. Yeah, I think they have. Well, that's the Monaco Grand Prix. It was, uh, it was Monaco. It was a typical Monaco. Uh, spectacular, uh, not the most exciting and whatever race on Sunday, but still great. Still enjoyed it. All right. Uh, first, you're listening to WPRK Winter Park, Florida. Now, let's go to the good old U.S. of A. Back wire. home in Indiana. Yes. Now, do you sing along when they, uh, back home again uh, in Indiana? I hit the fast forward button. Wh- how do you? I've told you this before. It's, it's a tradition I've never warmed up to. I love it. I was never a Jim Neighbors fan. Oh. The guy who sings it today sings it better than Jim Neighbors, louder and you know, oh more God. robust. But I just never warmed up to it. You know? Well. I, I love the anthem. Anthem's great. Fly over all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Jules' version. Of what? Jules' version. Jules what? Jewel sang the the anthem oh, okay. at Indy. Yes. What I don't like, I like Chris Stapleton yeah. at Super Bowl. I didn't phenomenal second best rendition I've ever heard. Whitney Houston, ninety one Super Bowl. Yeah. Absolutely top of the list. Yeah. They put a little bit of personality into the song as it is. Uh-huh. Jewel changed the whole thing. Okay. You go listen to it. You see, I mean, just notes coming out of everywhere that don't belong. And, you know, this, you know, she's a folksy, you know, country, you know, poppy kind of thing. And, you know, she sings very well, but it's just when you take the national anthem and you turn it into something almost unrecognizable because you want to put your own stamp on it, I say no. Yeah. Sonia's my girl, by the way. Sonia Bryson Kirksey, who does the anthem for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh. The interesting thing in hockey, they don't, you know, oh, here's this other singer or whatever. 
Same person, sings the anthem every home game. Yeah, the Rangers had the same one in all playoffs. Yeah, well, they do it every single game and have done it for years. Sonia Bryson Kirksey, who does it for the Lightning, does a fantastic job. Uh, so I'll I'm check it out. Her. Yeah, I like Sonia. She does a great job. Um, little news going into Indy 500. Stefan Wilson, Stephen Wilson got ran into by Catherine Leggy. Uh, broke his back, had to do some surgery uh, in practice. Means he's out of the race. They needed somebody to step in, and that somebody was Graham Rahal, who was out. Did not qualify. Graham Rahal did not qualify for the race. Just completely out of off of the pace. Uh, however, with Wilson being out, Graham Rahal, who drove for Honda forever, is stepping into the Chevy that Stefan Wilson was driving. So interesting uh, kind of move there. But put him in the car. That equaled 33 cars. Um, and, well, that was... Uh, that was uh, kind of the big changes going into coming out of qualifying, going into um, going into the race. Alex Palau on the uh, pole, Renus VK uh, right next to him, and then on the outside, Felix Rosenquist uh, was your starting grid. It's three wide, of course, going into Indy. We have all the pomp and circumstance. Two hundred laps uh, in front of three hundred thousand people. Just. Getting ready to to go, just an absolutely packed crowd, chamber of commerce, weather, all that kind of stuff, and we we get going after all the pomp and circumstance, which you don't like, which I do like. Not, I don't like dislike all of it. It's just the back home in Indiana. I've just never warmed up to. Okay, you don't like that. All right, yeah. I get it. I thought the. Uh, thought the pastor did a nice job. I thought the flyovers were spectacular. I thought the um, the parades with the Chevy pickup trucks that went all around the track with the military people in the back, four per truck, and, you know, waving to the crowd and treating them very well. I thought, I love that. Good stuff. Well, let's get to the start. So Graham Rahal in this new car. The battery's dead. I uh, can't get it to the grid. Everything. I Is mean, that, I thought on. I thought Subaru was only allowed to beat up on Graham Ray Hall. Yeah, as much as this Chevy does now. I guess. No, not this whole week. I mean, just well, Honda Honda beat up on him, uh, and then Chevy uh, with the battery failing. Um, uh, his, but I mean, you're a four car team. Your dad owns the team, and you're the fourth fastest car. And not only that. Yeah. The very last round of qualifying, you go out with like four minutes to go, and you put it in 33rd position, and your teammate, who had qualified that you knocked out, had to go and do, had to drive around the track to cool his engine so he could do one last final attempt, and he knocks you out. Yeah. I mean, that's a roller coaster of emotions. You know, you shouldn't put a man through. No. Not, he, not with his family and his kids present. No, he had a very up and down week. Uh, and, you know, he's starting in a Chevrolet, not his normal team, all this kind of stuff. And then the battery's dead. And he eventually gets going two laps down. But we have a, a relatively uneventful, uh, which is always kind of nice, quite frankly, uh, start of the race because, you know, 
Now, hell can break loose, and it has in the past. Uh, it didn't. And we had 33 cars piling, or well, 32 cars piling into turn one, and they all made it out. No crazy moves. Everybody realized, everybody got the memo. This is a 500-mile race. After we finish this first lap, there's 199 more to go. So don't wreck here. What everybody forgot about is everybody kind of forgot how pit stops work, I think. Not necessarily how pit stops work, but how to pull into the pits and how to leave the pits. Because it seemed like just about every single car had problems at some point today in some way, shape, or form. Either they locked it up, pulled into the pits, and bounced off the pit wall. They you know, were speeding on pit lane, coming into the pit entrance. They pulled into the wrong stop. They stopped short. They stopped long. Uh, you know, they pulled out and ran into somebody. I mean, it was constant. We had, you know, tires ending up in travel lanes, all that kind of stuff throughout the course of the race today. And it was just kind of funny how often it happened, I think. Yeah, but it, I mean, it highlights just how much you can't, cannot plan for. Yeah. I mean, you, you can train, you can do everything right. And things can still go wrong because these guys spend, I mean, yeah, they're, they're racing throughout the season, but I think the last race was a month ago. And their whole world has been indie for the last three weeks. Yeah. If not more. And, you know, you go in, you think you've trained, you've planned, you've talked, you've met, you know, you've collaborated and you know all these things come together and you qualify and you're in the show and and then things just emerge out of nowhere tires go bouncing you know into the pit lane and yeah you know your your uh your driver you know ignores a hand signal to wait and then you pull out and you crash into your teammate, teammate. who's coming teammate. coming into the pit in front of you and you know it's just wild stuff you know you get on the gas and you just you you lay on the throttle so long that you know one of the tires is basically slipping the entire time for a hundred yards down the track and eventually you, you still don't let off and it you know turns you into the pit wall i mean it's all this kind yeah, of stuff and it happened more than once yeah. i mean you know you think it happened to I think Catherine leg was the first one to do it yeah i think everybody else would say okay don't do what Catherine did yeah <laughs> and then they did it Exactly. You think they go, uh, you know, they would say, they'd get on the radio and go, hey, guys, Catherine, you know, just had the, had trouble exiting the pit stall, you know, ended up bouncing in off of a pit wall and everything, lit the tires up a little too long. You know, be careful coming in, hit your marks, whatever. Nope. Nope. Didn't happen. Everybody seemed to do it. Uh, we had a lot of green flag running up to lap 91. Stingray Rob which is by far my favorite name in racing. Pretty uh, good. It's, it's solid, man. That is a solid name. Stingray Rob, uh, shun of the car, uh, lap 91, brought out the first caution. It reminded me how much I love long green flag runs at Indy. Um, for one, it goes by really quick, uh, and you get to see the race evolve in a way that you don't when it gets broken up with all these cautions. You really get to see who's fast, not just who's, you know, fast here, fast there, but, you know, what's going on with these gaps, 
who's moving up, who's working together, and you start to see people work together. Hey, why don't you lead five laps? Okay, I'll lead five laps. We'll save some save some fuel and that sort of thing. You know, lots of green flag running. Pitch strategy is starting to develop and everything. People are starting to go on different times. What are we going to do? How, you know, how are we going to strategize this thing out, time this thing, back time this thing and everything? You know, how many stops is it going to be? Oh, it's a, you know, it's a four-stop race. No, it's a five-stop race. Well, if it continues green, it's a six-stop race kind of thing. What are we going to, you know, how is that going to affect strategy and everything? And, and it gets so interesting, and I love these long green flag runs, which is what we kind of used to have in NASCAR, where you'd get to see one or two cars kind of get a lead, kind of manage that, and then somebody might try and chase them down and that sort of thing. That's all gone in NASCAR. That's never coming back in NASCAR. We still have that in IndyCar, and I like that. I like that aspect that somebody can get a lead and hold on to it for a little bit kind of thing. It's not just pack running. It's not just running in a pack the entire time. Quite frankly, that gets a little tiring and a little boring. People get to stretch their legs a little bit. Well, and I think, you know, you're probably referring to super speedways in NASCAR where it, it's a three-lane rolling parking lot. Yeah. So, you know, is there a little bit of jockeying and around here and there? But nobody's really breaking away, and, you know, I, I understand what you mean by that. IndyCar is unique in that, you know, the you know you can save fuel out there. You know, you're running 220 miles an hour, and you can save fuel. And you can save fuel to the extent that you can nurse an extra one, two, three extra laps out of a stint, which kind of as you stack, you know, that kind of running up over time, you know, it's – it can work to your advantage. You can go in and have a pit stop and shave four seconds off of the pit stop because you saved fuel that whole time. And then you have, you know, if you had masters of fuel save, Alan, Alexander Rossi was a master at saving fuel. He won, you know, his Indy 500 doing just that. Yeah. Um, that didn't play into this race, but it didn't doesn't mean it wasn't a part of it. And that's some of the aspects of, you know, uh, like you said, extended running. You know, not 15 laps in pit, you know, not 15 laps and then the tires go completely away. Now, I love tires that degrade, but and they do. as long as they're manageable. I mean, no, nobody in the stands cares whether they're running 220 versus 214 because you can't tell the difference, frankly. Right. But as long as it's competitive and, you know, cars are still able to pass and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's still a show. And we had a great show, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoy those long green flag runs. Uh, and okay, we have the crash lap 91. We go back out. Uh, we have 49 more laps. Roman Grosjean uh, shunts the car. Um, every, you know, a bunch of people coming in the pit, all that kind of stuff. We go back out. We get going again. And then we had uh, the first red flag. We ended up having three red flags in this race. First time there's ever been multiple red flags in the Indy 500. And this first one, um, quite frankly, wire was terrifying. Um, Not on track. No. Uh, just a very, very scary thing to see. I mean, something that I'm watching, I'm watching this and I said to my wife, oh my God, oh my God, I, I just saw a tire go into the stands 
I remember seeing pictures and everything from Michigan when this happened in Michigan 20 years ago and killed five or six people. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I you know, I don't know if we can, it's a different time now. That, that, that sort of thing is just not acceptable. Thank God this tire missed the grandstands, but you had a tire come off of um, Kyle Kirkwood's car. The uh, left, I think it was the left rear tire, comes off of the car, bounces down the track, hops up over the catch fence, over the grandstands, and ends up going in between. Okay, look, they've got 300,000 people at Indy. But the grandstands, you know, you have the northeast, west vista, the southeast vista, and, you know, they have all these little breaks here and there. You know, and there's grandstand for 200 yards or 300 yards, and then you know, a break of 150 yards, grandstand for 500 yards, and then a break for 100 yards. This went through one of those breaks in the grandstand and ended up impacting a vehicle that was on the, in a parking space back there, basically. And somehow, by the grace of God, hit a whole bunch of nothing but a parked car. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing because this doesn't, if this is... 50 yards to the right or 50 yards to the left, it doesn't hit one person. No, that's the thing. It, you don't, uh, a tire doesn't hit one person and you kill one person. I mean, yeah, this thing takes out four or five people. Yeah. And the, you know, there are all of the, you know, spindles and on the cars are tethered. Just the, the magnitude of the impact for two reasons. It sheared the tether immediately. Yeah. That, that, tire didn't come loose and then bound down the track and then you know take a weird bounce and launch over the fence this thing when the when the two cars came together it was instantly launched in the air it was probably 60 or 70 feet in the air yeah and probably traveled 80 yards three quarter three quarters of a football field who knows at least if not more by the time it cleared the fence and then made its way you know into the parking lot it's just, it's, I mean, it's scary to think about the ramifications. And like you said, you know, thank the Lord that nobody was injured. Yeah. And even the car that it hit wasn't terribly, you know, deformed. But yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, your mind always goes back to what could have been. Yeah. And we've seen it before. And, you know, I'm just glad that by the grace of God, it didn't happen here. Yeah. Same here. Because look, it, I mean, we've had these awful disasters in, in racing that have claimed the lives of fans. Um, obviously, Le Mans in 55 uh, being the biggest. Uh, and that, you know, the fact that we, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of people at Mercedes that, you know, didn't want to come back to Formula One because of that. You know, I, they hadn't really made a factory effort in, in racing. Yes, they, you know, built an engine for the Sauber C9, and then, you know, I guess they kind of worked their way back into Le Mans with a CLK GTR and everything like that. But, you know, there, there was a lot of people in the Mercedes camp that were very turned off about coming back into racing um, after, you know, their car claimed the lives of close to 100 people uh, in the 50s at Le Mans. You know, we've had accidents, Michigan, all that kind of stuff, uh, where fans have lost their lives. And, yeah, like you said, where doesn't hit one person you know it doesn't 
you know, hit one person and they break an arm, typically. A wheel moving at too close to 200 miles an hour. Yeah, and just think of the violence that's required to to eject that wheel the way yeah. it was. I mean, it's, you know, there's a providential factor in there that I believe, you know, weighed in. And, you know, fortunately, we're all able to discuss it now Yeah. in light of the fact that, you know, the, the biggest hardship is, you know, Cal Kirkwood's car's knocked out and somebody's got to call their insurance company. Yeah. That is, I would love to be the adjuster who gets that phone call. I wish I was an insurance adjuster. So, yeah, I was hit by a car. Well, did you get their insurance? They don't have insurance. Oh, it was an uninsured motorist that hit you. Well, I, I don't know if they have insurance. I, I, I don't know. Well, did you talk to them? It was a hit and run. Well, you know, just the. Do you have a police report? Yes. I, I, <laughs> I, I would love to, to be on the other end of that phone call. Well, we can joke about it now. It was a very scary incident when, when I saw it happen. And then thankfully you see, okay, it did not go into the stands. And you could tell when the announcers saw that thing go into the stands, they were shocked to see that. I didn't see it the first time around. So I, I, you could tell, and they didn't say anything about it, but they were shocked to see it. You could just see Lee Diffie or hear Lee Diffie's voice and everybody's voice just tenor and everything changed like that because uh, they knew right away when they saw that tire do that, they knew right away they could be doing dealing with a tragic, tragic event. Uh, yeah, and unfolded. then time went on and, you know, no new information was shared and, that's, you know, in in my mind, them not talking about it, the longer that went on, the worse it was going to be. And eventually they did. And eventually they did uh, say, hey, you know, eventually they, and I'm with you too, because your mind just goes to that place. You know, they're not talking about this, what's going on. Uh, and then eventually they said no injuries, The you know, tire impacted a vehicle that was parked. Nobody's hurt. And you Security it's, guy went on Twitter was, you know, pretty animated about protecting that car too. He was. <laughs> this is the this is the Indianapolis version of the blue shirts at Daytona, you know? <laughs> I mean he the guy, let's be honest, the guy's sitting there, you know, telling people where the bathroom is all day and has been for the entire month of May, and now, just like that, he is snapping into action. He's Johnny on the spot. Absolutely. He found his calling. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. All right. Um we get back to racing there. We red flag the race. We get back to racing. Uh, we go back. We have a you know parade, all that kind of stuff. We, we start the race again. And another red flag. And mind you, this is all in the last 20 laps. Yeah. So we stop the race again. Um, we have that second red flag. First red flag because of this awful accident. Another red flag. We get back going. Uh, on the uh, red f- uh, red flag, and then we go out there, and then there's another crash. There's basically a, you know, there's a, another crash. There's two laps left, and well, it looks like that's the way we're gonna finish. We're gonna finish it that way. Uh, oh. We're gonna finish under caution. Bring in the red flag. Third red flag comes out with two laps left. Red flag the race. There's two laps left. Now we don't do the green white checker thing like they do on NASCAR, where they do but they overtime. Did. Well, they didn't. And in NASCAR, they go out, they do a pace lap, 
you know, and then then they do the, you know, they give them the green, then they give them the white, then they give them the checkered. So um, this was going to be basically half of a pace lap, essentially. You know, you go out of the pits, the pace car, you know, basically leaves the pits, come, comes back into the pits, doesn't even complete an entire lap. They didn't even bother with the pace car this time. Yeah, they, they didn't. Pace car didn't even go out. Um, and what you have is, you know, they go around, they stage up, out comes the green flag and white flag at the same time, and you are now on the 200th lap of the Indy 500. Marcus Erickson leads the field to the green and white. Joseph Newgarden uh, gets in behind him, uh, and I got to be honest, puts on a great move. Puts on a great move, uh, a great restart from Newgarden. Doesn't try to get him right away. He doesn't try and make the move right away. He's patient. He waits. He bides its time. He gets a great exit out of turn two. Drafts him all the way down the back stretch, alongside and by on the back stretch into turn three. Clears Erickson. Uh, and now Santino Ferrucci is almost clo- is, is closing in on Erickson, uh, really getting close to him, uh, and to the point where Erickson now has to think about not how do I get back to Newgarden? I almost have to defend a little bit. Gets a draft and a little bit of draft in the short shoot. Gets a great exit coming out of turn uh, turn four. Joseph Newgarden does exactly what Marcus Erickson did last year, driving all the way down the track closing the door uh, all the way in pit lane, coming back up, all that kind of stuff. Marcus Erickson cannot get by, and Joseph Newgarden goes on and wins his first Indy 500. I got to say, I got no problem with finishing the race like this. Yeah, I mean, it's maddening to, you know, watch, you know, the caution after caution after caution. Yeah. You know, we thought that was exclusively a, uh, you know, a NASCAR trait. Nope. Um, you know, you know, the stakes are high. I, I, I have to say that some of the overhead, uh, footage of these guys running four abreast down the back straightaway. My God. After cautions is, it's just, it's crazy. You have to, you have to commend them for not creating more carnage because there are honestly, there were, you know, some really, there were there were some accidents that were just barely avoided. I mean, yeah. they were they were just accidents ready to go, and they never occurred. And you know, so you know, there was a lot of heads up driving. You know, can you say that there was a couple of knuckleheads at the end? Yeah, sure. But you know, I understand. You know, I've never been in a position where I'm racing to you know finish and potentially you know podium to the uh, you know at the Indianapolis 500. So. I can't. Uh, I can't tell you what I'd do in that scenario, but you know, look. This is your chance. This is your chance. Last lap, last few laps. You have a chance. You're going to take it. Um, and a lot of people do. A lot of people. It's ill advised and and all that. Marcus Erickson after the race, obviously not surprisingly, I should say rather, pretty perturbed. Said it was unsafe. Said he hated that they restarted uh, the race. Thought it was awful. Uh, guess who joined him and echoed his sentiment? Nobody. Nobody. That tells you everything you need to know. Matter of fact, um, Tony uh, Tony Kanon uh, finished 16th in what was his final uh, Indy 500. 
uh, came on and said, yeah, you know, when I won, whenever he won it in 2001 or something like that. I said, yeah, you know, when I won in 2001 or, or 2003 or whatever the number is. You know, they crashed with five laps left and ended under caution, and I won. And everybody hated it, that it ended under caution. Yep. So they did the right, you know, did they do the right thing? Yeah. Marcus Erickson doesn't like it. Well, tough, Marcus Erickson. You know who liked it? Joseph Newgarden. The fans. Fans did. Television audience. Yep. People who were there. People that paid good money. 300,000 of them. Yeah. 300,000 of them. Yep. Yeah, so Marcus Erickson. You can get lost with that, quite frankly. But I get it. You know, hey, you lost because of it. And, and don't cry. Yeah. You know, you can you can say in a gentlemanly manner, you could say, Look, I would have rather we didn't start the race, but you know, there there's hundreds of thousands of fans here. I understand why they did it. You know, last year I was able to hold on. This year I wasn't. You yeah. know? Be graceful in you know, in is it a defeat? Yeah, it's a defeat. You finished second at the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. You know, the world did not implode on you. Yeah. And you're recently married. Yeah. So Get your tinfoil hat on, though, yeah. Wire. Team Penske came through and beat uh, Chip Ganassi. Uh, Ganassi Racing. Did somebody actually... No, I'm, say, uh, you, no, I'm, I'm just saying. Okay. You know, of course, Roger Penske, you know, the captain, owns Indy. Yeah, I know. Owns, the, you know, owns you, all that. I, I think this was all intentional. They wanted the boss man to win. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. No. You're I, the only one wearing that hat, brother. I, I am. I, I am for a little <laughs> bit until the until the tinfoil people get out there. Um, but no, I, I don't think that's the case at all. But um, nonetheless, let's run down the finishing order of the uh, 2023 Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden for Team Penske wins in dramatic fashion. His first win. Um, Two-time IndyCar champion is Joseph Newgarden. Uh, first time he has won the Indy 500. Marcus Erickson finishes in second for Ganassi. Santino Ferrucci in third for A.J. Foyt Racing. I, I love seeing A.J. Foyt. At Super the tax. Love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always kind of thought he's a, you know, bit of a jerk, maybe. But He's just one of those guys that, you know, that's probably who he always was. Yeah. And he, he, didn't, he didn't commercialize himself. No, he didn't. I, I, and I love him for that. I love him yeah. for that. I, 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 he's, he's a bit of a jerk, but I do love him for that. For, because he's just an, he Now he's kind of an ornery old man. <laughs> but he Before was always he was an, old, he was still ornery. He, he was, was an, an ornery or, young man. Yeah, he was an ornery young man. So... Um, Alex Palau uh, finishes in fourth for Ganassi. Alexander Rossi uh, for Arrow. Uh, McLaren finishes in fifth. By the way, this will tell you what Zach Brown thinks about the F1 team. Guess where he was this weekend? Oh, well, yeah. Why wouldn't you be here? He was here. Yeah. He was here. Scott Dixon in sixth for Ganassi. Takuma Sato in seventh uh, for Ganassi. Connor Daly, Ed Carpenter Racing in eighth. Colton Herta, uh, Andretti Auto Sports uh, driver there in ninth. Renus VK, Ed Carpenter Racing, finished in 10th position there. Look, I'd... IndyCar Racing is doing some really good stuff. IndyCar's got some really good stuff going on. Indy 500 is obviously the crown jewel of all that. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Wish we wouldn't have had so many accidents. Um Obviously, very lucky that we had didn't have um, anything awful happen 
uh, with a tire going in there. But overall, thought it was a success today. We had five guys that all led more than 20 laps. I mean, it's, this wasn't a runaway by any stretch. No. And in the past, we've seen that at Indy. You know, we're just yeah. somebody gets it right. You know, they get the pit stops right. They get strategy right, and they just run away with it. Not the case. Five different year. guys with 20-plus laps led. And honestly, if you were to go back through the field, there were some amazing passes. Colton Hurd to put a move on that, you know, down into turn one, two tires on the grass yeah. just for a moment, and, you know, then sneaks by somebody who skirts up half a lane. He goes right underneath them. Tony Kanaan down the back straightaway, four wheels on the grass. He goes to the inside. Somebody pushes him off. He goes. He just runs out of asphalt. He goes right through the grass, barely lifted. Yeah. I mean, there's so much excitement with this, you know, particular speck of racing. Um, you know, and you said, you know, a couple of weeks ago that they don't look great, you know, but they look great for what they're doing, you know. Yeah. We, we're used to seeing these cars with bigger wings, but they don't require it. Yeah. That's why, you know, the top speeds during qualifying were 240 miles an hour. Yeah, I think so. Not somebody- the average, but. Straightaway speeds, 240. I think I saw a 241. A 241. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, qualifying speeds. Uh, I think 234, 230. Did we get somebody into the 235s? For average speed? Yeah. Mm, I don't think so. I think okay. 234. Well, whatever it was. Uh, some really incredible stuff. Um, India is something different. India is something cool. It's it's something unique. It's unique. Um to itself, uh, there's just nothing. And it's a tradition. Like it. You love traditions. I do love traditions, and it is a great tradition because I love back home again in Indiana. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. Should I play that as the uh, outro? I music? mean, it's entirely Americana. And that's, it is. That's one of the things I love about it. It is. It is. Not so much the singing, but the racing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Wire. Um, well, of course, we have this you know big weekend from Indianapolis, from Indy, big weekend from Formula One, which means, of course, they're going to take a break next week, right? Uh, no, not this year, my friend. No, we're going to uh, Detroit next week uh, for IndyCar, not racing on Belle Isle, but racing in downtown Detroit, uh, just like what Formula One used to do years ago. Um, last time we had a street race in Detroit proper was Formula One years ago. Well, IndyCar is going to be doing that next week, uh, so we'll talk about that next week. And we got F1 going to Barcelona. Did I Very say nice. that properly? Well... Sort of. Okay. Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. All right. So Barcelona. We're going to Spain next week. Circuit de Catalunya. It's a track that everybody knows. Everybody used to test there all the time. Everybody knows it very well. Inside and out, like the back of their hand. We changed up the chicane on the back, leading into the back stretch a little bit. It's better. Race is better. You know. Fun track, I guess. Not fun track sometimes. We've seen some fireworks there over the years. What are we going to see there this year, Wire? I don't know. I mean, it's, um, you know, Ferrari brought some new specs to Monaco. Um, n- not really a place where you can showcase, you know, car upgrades. Um, obviously, Alpine, you know, hit on something. So, you know, see what they bring. Um, Aston's still fast. I'm looking for a very, very good race. So am I. I- I'm, I'm, look, this is kind of the. I don't know, kind of a natural break, it seems like, in the Formula One season almost. Like we're kind of starting not the second half of the season, but the second quarter of the season maybe now. Um, 
you know, we're through these kind of flyaway races. We're through Monaco. We're through the glitz and glam of that. We're getting into this kind of European leg, even though we're coming to Canada right after Barcelona. But anyway, I think this is a chapter to be turned, a page to be turned. And I think everybody's going to turn the page and they're all going to find out that Red Bull is still the fastest by far. I don't see anybody challenging Max. You think they run away with it? Yeah, I do. I think they run away with it just like they have uh, all season long, and I think they're going to do it again. I think they're going to do it again uh, in Spain. Um, who you I don't got? Want, I, you know, I, look, I, Max. Max is who I got. Max is going to win, but I don't want to pick Max. So I'm going to pick Checo. Okay. Who are you going to pick? I've told you I'm not going to pick Ferrari until they win again. So pick. So pick. So I think I'll take Fernando. Okay. All right. I, you know, Red Bull is the class of the field, but um, anyway, we'll see. Uh, we will talk about that next week. Uh, before we get there, um, as we close out, uh, a very happy Memorial Day to everybody. Uh, and please uh, remember what it is. It's, we're memorializing everybody who gave their lives uh, for our country so that we can be here doing this radio show and doing what we do on Memorial Day. So on that note, why well, a happy Memorial Day to you. and Same to you. Uh, same to all the families and everybody who don't have somebody with them. Uh, now, because they did pay that ultimate price. So on that note, we're out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next week, bye-bye. Pop